Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Crimmins, and I'll be running solo today. Flying solo. You don't run solo, you fly solo. And it's because Luke is out of town, but I'll get to that in just a minute. I thought that first we'll talk about some of the updates, what's been going on at Mandarin Blueprint for the past few weeks, what we've been working on. And uh, we'd like to get your feedback on it, of course, because we want to work on the things that matter most to you. So we have been focusing on a number of different things. So I have personally been working a lot on finishing up some of the course material in phases four and five with our Sichuan University teacher, Annie. Now, Annie is very knowledgeable about how to introduce new grammar points as they become relevant and also as the characters and words you've learned through the Mandarin Blueprint method uh, are appropriate to introduce a new grammar point. And we've just finished the important aspects of phase four. So I figured this is a good time as any to explain the phases for those of you who aren't actually in the course and as provide a reminder uh, for those of you who are in the course. So phase one of the course is all about components and characters. And this is the first six levels. It's about the first 46 characters. And what we're saying is not that you don't keep learning components and characters as you move forward, but rather that in phase one, that's all you should really be focusing on with the understanding that you already get what pinyin is. Now, if you don't know what pinyin is, then you can take our pronunciation mastery course, but there's also articles even on our own website that explain at least the basics of what the Chinese alphabet is, the Romanized version. Now, assuming you know pinyin, you can get started with components, and that's phase one, which is where we take basic components and use them to build basic characters. Now, we do this through a mnemonic visualization, a patent-pending mnemonic visualization system, but essentially, once you get to character 46, we say, okay, phase two has started now, and you know how to learn a character, you know how to build it up from the components. You'll keep doing that, but now there's enough characters that it's quite reasonable to start thinking about how two characters can combine to create words, and most Chinese words are two characters, so you start focusing on vocabulary. So that's levels seven through 12. Level 7 through 12, are most, what you're mostly doing is learning how to take a new word and connect it to your own personal experience. Then, starting at level 13, levels 13 to 20, we start doing sentences and sort of basic grammar. Because at that point, you've learned 105 characters, and so you're ready to start putting them together to create simple sentences. And the key to acquiring grammar is actually not to learn grammar points, but rather just get as many sentences as you can that you understand. And it's about quantity. But in order to have a large quantity of sentences, you really have to understand characters and vocabulary properly. So learning any language is accumulative, which means that if you learn how to do a component and character mnemonic scene to learn a character, you keep doing that, but you get better at it as you keep going and it becomes faster. Then you introduce how to learn a word by connecting it to your own lived experience and finding good images to relate to the word. And you keep doing that, but you eventually you get good enough at it that you can start focusing on simple sentences. Now, the next stage, you would say, some people would say, well, a sentence by itself, isn't that the language? I mean, aren't you effectively using the language? And it's like, well, yes and no. 
On the one hand, if you have a sentence that is grammatically correct and you can say it in context, you've succeeded in communicating in the second language. However, it's not that grammar, it's not as if grammar ends at the level of the sentence. You can move up to the level of the paragraph. So all you would have to do to understand this is imagine how much different a sentence feels if it's in the context of a paragraph or even a couple of paragraphs when you know if you say uh he's he had stabbed the man in the heart you know if you just see that by itself it's like oh no what a terrible guy he stabbed him in the heart but it's like if you read a whole paragraph that explains that before the guy stabbed somebody else in the heart he was defending his children and he was very sad that he had to go to such a uh, you know, extreme in his self-defense. So the context of the paragraph, the context of the story can change the meaning of the sentence. And if that can change the meaning of the sentence, that means there's grammar, right? Because the function of grammar is to either add content or change the order of content in order to change the meaning, right? So I love you versus... Uh, do I love you by adding the do that changes the meaning entirely. Another example would be they all are not the same versus they are not all the same. This, the words are the uh, same. They're just put into a different order. So you get a grammatical change. Now in Chinese, there's no word form changes, which is why the grammar is easier to master because all you have to figure out essentially is the puzzle pieces of it, the characters and the words connecting. So Phase four is when we introduce more and more content to allow for you to see sentences in a larger context. So we'll be making an announcement in the course about how phase four works, but essentially what you'll be getting is new short stories, new short opinion pieces, and new short or new longer dialogues that are a bit more back and forth between A and B. Now, that's phase four. Phase five is going to be longer stories. We're still working on that. And so therefore, the final Anki deck of 31, levels 31 to 36 in the current iteration of the course is still in process. But it should be finished within the next uh, couple of weeks after Annie gets back from her spring festival vacation. Now, that's one thing we've been working on. And the plan at the moment is to move on after we finish 30 levels 31 through 36 and finish that content to expanding our character order. Now, this is something that has been of a bit of a debate between all of us here at Mandarin Blueprint because what we're trying to figure out is would we rather take the course as it is and improve the materials or would we rather expand the course? And we've come to the conclusion that we think we'd rather expand the course because as you know, we're big advocates of taking the characters the most seriously of every aspect. So that's to say that the characters are your guiding compass. And so if we're able to expand out the characters to, let's say, HSK 6 level, which might be around 3,000 characters, then that's sort of our foundation, and we can then go back and expand out on what that can create. And luckily, we have a, a special plan for how we're going to teach vocabulary past level 36, but we'll get to more of that uh, a few months from now, probably. Now, that's the announcement on phase four. Now, we have another bit of news from Mandarin Blueprint that's a bit more 
uh, happy news and more personal. So the reason why I'm flying solo today and doing the podcast by myself is because Luke is with his girlfriend in her hometown and celebrating Spring Festival. A couple nights ago was the Spring Festival uh, gala, and everybody's at home with their families. They usually eat a lovely dinner. I sure did. And um, it's a really great time. But a couple of days before, they went to Beijing for a day just to kind of look around. You know, they, they both have been to Beijing before and wanted to uh, enjoy the sights right before Spring Festival. And Luke went to a place called Jingshan, which is just north of the Forbidden City. It's like right right north of the Forbidden City. And Jingshan literally means scenery hill. It's the scenery hill. And Shan can mean mountain, but it's definitely not a mountain. It's a hill. And it's actually a man-made hill that's made up of the soil from the moat that surrounds the Forbidden City. So it's kind of cool in that way. And because the center of Beijing is totally flat, uh, it's... A really good view of everything around the city and you can look right down into the forbidden city it's quite a good place and what luke did there was he towards his girlfriend and so means to request marriage or to propose and she said yes so any of you who are on the course and you'd like to congratulate Luke, uh, leave a little comment on one of the videos, any video is fine, and, uh, or you can just send us an email. I'm sure that Luke will appreciate that. I don't know if he'll listen to this podcast. So uh, Luke is going to get married and they're, they're great together. It uh, was a long time coming. I'm very happy for both of them, but I figured it's a good opportunity to talk about Hun, this character, because what he did was Hun, which means to request Marriage. Hun usually means the institution of marriage, you could say. Now, qiu means to request, but to be honest, it's a bit more than just request. If you wanted to make a minor request of somebody, you would actually probably just take the character that means please in Chinese, which is qing. qing. And this is a, just a slightly less intense type of request, you know. And so qiu has a feeling of much stronger request so it could be maybe a beggar is they need food or they're asking for money and they might say it's a strong request like please you know i really need this um and of course you could use if you were uh begging for mercy or something like that but they also use it for marriage but then again you think about it of course they would right because it's a pretty heavy request you're saying hey let's get married, let's spend the rest of our lives together. I think is because it almost seems like if you were to say would seem a little bit too uh, diminutive for such a big event. So is the first word we're going to learn here. Now, the next word we're going to learn that has is and and are both verbs. So you could say what are you requesting? You're requesting or, you know, uh, imploring strongly for marriage. So it's a verb what structure, which is that, that is to say that they're like, chi fan is a verb what structure. You've got chi, which means to eat. What are you eating? You're eating fan, a meal. So chi fan. hun is chi. You're requesting. What are you requesting? You're requesting hun, marriage. Jie means to tie together or not together. And of course, in English, we'll say tie the knot to mean get married. So what do you want to tie together? Well, you want to tie together the marriage. So 结婚 means to get married. And 
So people might say, uh, if they don't know you and they're just meeting you, they might say, uh, which would mean, have you gotten married? But it's the thing about it, though, is it is the actual act of getting married. It's not marriage as an institution, which is something that at the beginning I had a little bit of confusion about. But the next word we can learn, learn that has hun is what Luke and Nana will be doing the day that they jie hun. So that day when they jie hun, they will have a hun li. Hun li. And so hun li is the marriage ceremony. It's the wedding, right? And so li, that character's third tone, it's a it means ceremony, and it also means sort of, it can sometimes mean, uh, you know, things r relating to ceremony. Of course, you have other things that are uh, a ceremony that aren't necessarily positive. So it doesn't have a positive or negative because it could be a zhang li, which would be a funeral. But the li basically refers to some type of ceremony. And what's going to happen that day is a bunch of people are going to give uh, Luke and Nana their uh, bunch of li wu, which is gifts. So li, that same li. Uh, you put that before wu, which just means thing. Actually, wu just means is a very broad character that just means thing or dongxi, right? And so that character li wu is like the thing you give at ceremony. So it's gift. Now, after they jiehun at their hun li, they will have a marriage. So if you want to refer to somebody's marriage or like. You know, everybody seems to at some point have a little bit of a tough time in their marriage. They might say, you know, 我的婚姻有点问题. I'm having a little trouble with my marriage. You wouldn't say 我的结婚, no, no, no. Because that 结婚 is the act of getting married. Once you are married, you have a 婚姻, you have a marriage. So that 姻 is the same component as in way. So that in 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 way is the right side component, but on the left side you have the uh, female component. And so you sort of can see in the characters that most things related to marriage, Chinese people see it as being more focused on the female side of things, and including the institution of marriage itself. Sort of she's the head of the marriage. And then so that's you've got your You've got hun to request marriage. You've got hun to actually tie the marriage together and get married. You've got the hunli, which is the wedding ceremony. And then you've got marriage, hunyin. Now, of course, uh, this won't happen for Luke and Nana, but suppose that you wanted to uh, leave the marriage and get divorced, that would be li hun. Now, li, this character means to leave. You know, you could say li kai, which means to leave something. Or, uh, you know, if you go to a... Uh, airplane booking website, they'll sort of say li would mean the departure, and then um, usually dao would be the uh, the arrival. Now, li hun is to leave the marriage. So what are you leaving? You're leaving the marriage. So it's the same structure as qiu hun, jie hun, li hun, and they're all verb what? So li is a verb. It means to leave. What are you leaving? You're leaving the hun. So the course this won't happen for Luke and Nana they're going to have a great hunyin for many years I'm sure and I'm sure their hunli will be very beautiful so I thought that that would be a good opportunity to teach you guys some uh, words that surround the character hun and of course as I say if you'd like to congratulate congratulate Luke somewhere on the course please do so I'm sure he'll be happy to hear it now one final announcement and then we'll get into today's Q&A which is that 
we have two new webinars that will be coming out shortly. As a matter of fact, considering that this podcast won't be coming out for about uh, six days from now, I can almost guarantee that we'll have the uh, links in the show notes. And by the way, all of those Hun, um, Hun Li, et cetera, they are in the show notes as well. Now, uh, these webinars are going to, one is educational and one is just about the Mandarin Blueprint Method. So if you're not on the course and you want to know what the Mandarin Blueprint Method is, we have about a 50-minute webinar that explains the ins and outs of how it works. And we also have about a one-hour webinar that is meant to just give you some good advice about what you're getting into with Mandarin learning. Like it's not really a sales webinar. You know, with the Mandarin Blueprint method, we're explaining what the product is. And so at the end, we'll give you a special webinar offer. So you could say technically it's a sales webinar. But the other one is not meant specifically to uh, sell you anything. Like we'll give you an offer at the end for the Mandarin Blueprint method. But the webinar itself is just useful information about the Chinese learning world, what you're facing if you want to learn Chinese. And so those two will be available. They're both free. They are pre-recorded webinars because as you guys know, we're a bit of a small operation here. So uh, running frequent live webinars is not tenable considering all the other things that we have to work on. But as a result of them being pre-recorded webinars, they are quite high quality. So they're higher quality than they could be if they were live. So that's the final announcement. Let's get into the questions. As a reminder, these questions either come from email or they come from the Mandarin Blueprint Method course or our Pronunciation Mastery course. So sometimes you might have a, a question that if you're not on the course seems a little bit strange, but if you ever want to try the course right at the beginning of the show notes, there's a link to the free trial and you can check it out. But it's also worth listening to some of these because many of these questions uh, are applicable whether or not you're on the course. So question number one comes from Nassim Shawarba. He's given us a lot of great questions and he starts off, it's really just actually a bit of a feedback on how he's been doing. So he says, thank you very much, Phil and Luke. All my Chinese friends are amazed by how perfect my pronunciation is. They told me I only need to speak a bit faster. I did that and they told me there's no difference between me and a native speaker. Wow. I am trying to master every initial and final. And what I like about this message from Nassim, well, first of all, Nassim, congratulations. Uh, that's great. That tells me that you've started off your Mandarin learning journey correctly, which I wish I had. I didn't really focus on pronunciation at the beginning, and that was a mistake. I learned later. I was like, oh, I really should have spent a lot more time on that because I just didn't have good guidance at the beginning. Now, luckily, I had the right bit of advice around characters, and I focused on characters a lot right at the beginning, but I wish I had spent more time on Mandarin pronunciation because at the end of the day, there's only so many syllables. It is possible to master them. And like, So if you said there's approximately 409, maybe 420, depending on who you ask, syllables in Chinese, but it's not even as difficult as they're all separate because there's only a certain set of initials, there's a certain set of finals, and there's a lot of principles that apply to it. So if you learn the principles of how all the initials and finals work, as Nassim is working on right now, then you can figure out what the pronunciation is of a given uh, pinyin spelling, a pinyin syllable, without ever needing to practice it necessarily individually. If you understand the how the initial is supposed to sound and how the final is supposed to sound, you should be able to say it accurately. And that's why our pronunciation mastery course is a separate course. It doesn't really fit into the integrated system of the Mandarin Blueprint method because it's finite. I mean, technically speaking, 
Mandarin as a language is, is practically infinite. It's Really, it is, because the amount of combinations you could have to create gram grammatical structures is literally infinite. So technically, the Mandarin blueprint method could go on forever. And I suppose if you wanted to get really into the details of pronunciation, you could get... Uh, you know, an expanded course, but when it comes to how do you say properly in a way that other Chinese people can understand every single syllable in Chinese, it's a finite process. It doesn't take that long. The pronunciation mastery course is only about six hours with two, about two hours of bonus material, but the stuff that's focused specifically on pronunciation is only about six hours long. So if you take the pronunciation mastery course, you got it. You got Mandarin pronunciation, which is the best way to start learning any language. So thanks for that feedback, Nassim. Now, uh, we'll go to the next one, which is a bit more about study motivation. So this is from Chad Ressler, and he left this comment on our bonus video, The Four Components of Habit Building Part 2, Routine. And we're big fans of focusing on habits because Mandarin needs to become a daily zero days off, or you could say no zero days habit if you want to find success, because there's literally nothing in life, no big project at all that does not get achieved through incremental improvement. If it's a project that takes a day to do, okay, then you did it in one stroke. But if it takes longer than that, there's no other way around it. You have to have incremental improvement. If you have to have incremental improvement, then the key is to cordon off a part of your day, or even better, cordon off a part of your mind that just says this is a non-negotiable thing. I'm doing it every day. And so you want to fit it into your routine. So Chad says, Chinese must be integrated into your existing routine or new routine, uh, including it should be established. So my study time is now done with morning coffee, Anki later in the day, and a Mandarin language movie at bedtime. I, bedtime. I've seen progress daily with this routine. And that's great. That's different from my routine, but I, it, if it works for you, that's what you should do. So for example, uh, I'm a daily exerciser and I tried to do it in the morning because I have a number of people who uh, I really admire who get up really early and they, they work out right away. And I was finding my performance doing it at that time to just be very kind of crap compared to what it would be if I just did it in the afternoon. And so now I do it every day in the afternoon and it's great. It works very well for me. So you got to find the thing that works for you. And, you know, I used to do Anki first thing in the morning. It looks like for Chad, he'd rather do the learning early in the morning and then do his reviews later in the day. And I can so totally see how that would work. And then, of course, a Mandarin, uh, Mandarin bedtime movie is a great way to keep it, I mean, right before bed too. So it's like, it's going to be processing during the night. It's a great way to go about it. By the way, a little tip here when it comes to immersion um, is to, if you have an extra MP3 player around or an old phone that you don't use anymore, uh, set it up with a charger somewhere in your house and connect it to a speaker and load it with a bunch of Mandarin news or podcasts or just whatever MP3s of some sort that are uh, playing Mandarin. And just don't turn it off and put it on repeat. So like if there's a, a thousand MP3 files, which there's loads on the internet of Mandarin speaking uh, MP3s or podcasts, just put it on somewhere in your house and never turn it off. And you might say, well, what if it is annoying to me? Well, sure. Then turn the volume down to one so that you can't hear it. So somebody knocks on the door, you need to open the door, you have a friend over, just turn it down to a level where it won't bother you. 
And then uh, when your friend leaves or your responsibilities are taken care of and the room becomes silent again, you'll hear it because it's still at level one volume. Now, if it was off, you wouldn't hear it and you might not think to turn it back up. But if it's level one, oh, you hear it and you go back over and just turn it a few more clicks up. Now, we're big advocates of comprehensible input. And of course, at the beginning, turning on Mandarin on a speaker in your house is not going to be comprehensible. But you don't want to say that that therefore has no value because there's something you could learn from it. Maybe you hear a third tone. Maybe you hear a proper qi or chi or something like that, and you can mimic it. You can try to mimic what somebody says at any given point. And what you'll find is that as you continue to go through the Mandarin Blueprint method, you'll start to notice things that are happening in the immersive uh, speaker, what, what was coming out of the immersion speaker, uh, as we say. So we'll, we'll call it that. We'll call that speaker your immersion speaker. And... The reason why you turn it on and never turn it off is because of laziness. You only have to do it once if you do it that way. <laughs> you know, just just go do it and turn it off and forget about it. Set it and forget it. It's great. You know, so it's and it's clearly working to your benefit. So anyway, that's a little tip for immersion. Let's move on to the next question. So the next question comes from Magna Jot. What a cool name. Um, I wonder what country she's from. And uh, it says character number nine, good, make a movie. This is from the a make a movie lesson is where you put all of the elements of the character, the character component, the pinion, the tone, the pinion initial fi and final and tone all together in a mnemonic scene to remember the character and you know start to study it in your Anki flashcards. And she picked up on something that I thought she was quite sharp to pick up on. In the well, so I'll say her question. She says, hi, I have been wondering about Gandalf for G. So Gandalf could potentially represent the letter G because that way you have a person who you can facially recognize very quickly in your mnemonic scene that represents a real aspect of Chinese. So she says, I've been wondering about Gandalf for G. Somewhere earlier, you said that this should be real male actors, or did I get it wrong? In that case, will we be needing Gandalf, male fictitious actor, somewhere along the course later, or can I use him here? Because G is G-E, and we say this should be a real person. And I'm sure that she noticed that when we gave a scene to represent Gan, which is also should be a male person, we use Gandalf. And of course, uh, a male real person. We use Gandalf, and Gandalf's a fictitious character. And she's right to point out that this is technically a... Uh, a exception to the system. The reason we did that was because the first time you're teaching somebody how this system works, we want to pick a an actor, a person to be in the scene that we think is incredibly likely to be known by the most amount of people. Now, there's some people who don't know who Gandalf is, I suppose, out there, but even people who haven't watched Lord of the Rings uh, tend to know who Gandalf is because it's something that's just sort of permeated the culture. However, Magda is right. It's actually not the case that Gandalf should be used for the letter G. Gandalf should actually be used for the letters G, U. Now, there's, it's too complicated to go into here. You'll understand if you uh, go into the course, but it's effectively, we have four categories of actor. Real male actors, real female actors. So they're real people in some way. It could be a celebrity. It could be a friend from your life fictional characters, and either gods or world leaders, and later we'll talk about another aspect of that, but that they represent the different aspects of the pinyin chart. So the female actors represent the sound, e. so anything like 
ti, ti, si, ni, ti. These are all going to be represented by female actors. So you can quickly identify, okay, that's a female actor, and it's uh, the their, their name starts with T. It's my friend Teresa, so I know that T is the beginning of this pinyin final. Now, with the U sounds, you've got U, Bu, Pu, Mu, Fu. These different sounds are represented by fictional characters, and one of those is Gu which is G-U, and Gandalf could be a great representation for G-U. Now, that said, if you use Gandalf for G and you use another fictional character for G-U, you're probably not going to get confused. But I just wanted to point that out, that Magda was quite sharp to pick that, pick that up. And then finally, the gods or the world leaders, they represent the U sound. So fictional characters is U, U, and the gods are U, U. And that's a special vowel in Chinese, and there's only six of them. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that's the answer to your question, Magda. Um, Magda it's technically speaking, no, you should not use Gandalf for G by itself. You should use Gandalf for G-U. Um, but if you do use him, it's probably okay. It would just be one exception to the rule uh, that we're following, that we have, you otherwise follow. Okay, now the next question comes from Sydney Green. And uh, this is a great question, and there's it's great for two reasons. So I'm going to address the question directly, then I'm going to talk about why I knew the answer to the question and why, therefore, these are not actually the type of questions that you need to worry about too much. But here's the question. Why is it 我们这一代很传统 and not 我们的代很传统? So this comes from character number 90, which is a character dai, which means generation. And it's a uh, the lesson is the, it's a word. So what we're saying is that this character can also be used as a word, and here are a few example sentences. Now, 我们这一代很传统 means our generation is quite traditional. Our generation is traditional. Now, his question is, why is it 我们这一代 as opposed to 我们的代? Because generation in English is a noun, and I could say 我的杯子 this is my glass. I could say, you know, my computer. So why can't I say to mean generation, right? And that's a good question. And the answer is that is actually not used as a noun in this context. It's used as a um, measure word for people. So you, we all know if you're a, a basic level of Chinese that 一个人 means one person, one individual person. Gu, that's actually the character we just talked about with uh, Magda's question, that gu, it's the universal measure word, and it just means individual, and you can say 一个人, 两个人, 三个人, one person, two people, three people. But you could change the measure word, and it would change the meaning of what type of 人, people, you're dealing with. So I could say 一群人, 一群人, and that would mean a group of people. Because chun means group, ren means a group of people. And so ren would mean one generation of people. Now, in this sentence, 我们这一代很传统, this sentence is actually, well, I'm, it's leaving out ren because the context is very clear. But you could say 我们这一代人很传统. So, 一个人, 一代人, 
The only difference is the measure word, but it does change the meaning because dai is a, is a means generation. So yi dai zhen is one generation of people. This is why in Chinese you always have to use measure words because when it comes to counting numbers, you can't change the form because in, you know, in English you could say uh, one person, two people. But in Chinese, you never change the form. It's always zhen, and it's always, uh, you know, whatever the other thing is, you can't change the form of the character. And therefore, every kind of counting situation is needs to be said with a measure word. Now, remember, while it's true that you need to use a measure word every time that you're counting something, even if it's only one, that doesn't mean that in all situations, with all nouns, you're always counting them. For example, I might just say, do you like coffee? I might say, which would just mean, do you like coffee, right? And that's not asking you if you like that particular cup of coffee. It's just saying, in general, do you like coffee? But if I say, um, would you like a cup of coffee? I might say, right? which would mean, would you like to drink a cup of coffee. And that's because it's a cup of coffee, it's e bay coffee, right? And that's a difference uh, when it comes to English. You know, we, in English, we might just say, would you like a coffee? We don't necessarily have to say, would you like a cup of coffee? We have to say, we, we can just say, would you like a coffee? In Chinese, you can't. If you're gonna have any kind of specific number, you need to use that measure word. So there's your explanation as to why 我们这一代很传统 is the correct way to say it. It's because 代 is a measure word, but I'd like to clue you guys in on to how I got that correct. How did I know how to explain that to Sydney? Is it because I have a great linguistic knowledge and have studied these grammar points to such a level that I completely understand it? Well, no. It's that I've seen so many sentences and read so many sentences through the my time of studying Chinese that I have a database of sort of backlog of sentences I've understood and said and whatever, that I could change the uh, the word die and switch it out for something else. So, something and realize, oh, die is a measure word because in all these other sentences that are popping into my mind, the thing that is in die's place is actually a measure word. And then after thinking about that, and goes, yeah, yeah, because yeah, sure, that's a, a generation of people. You could have a group of people. You could have a uh, menagerie. No, menagerie is animals, isn't it? But the point is, when you change the measure word, you can change the meaning, and I realized that. But the reason I realized it wasn't because I studied the grammar point. It's just because I've seen a lot of sentences, and my grammar module, my language module, just knows. It just knows that you can't say it the first way because I'd never seen it written that way and that if I say it the way it is and just switch it out for another another character those characters are all measure words so the ultimate takeaway I'd like you all to get from this is that the fact that I understood how to reverse engineer the answer to that question implies that grammar is like the last thing that you need to learn consciously. And to be honest, you don't even really need to learn it consciously. It's just kind of interesting. You know, when it comes to conscious effort, what your effort should be moving towards is do I understand, not why do I understand? Because they're two fundamentally different questions. Why do I understand is something that it could be an interesting thing to, to explore. And if you're a linguist and you really enjoy 
following that thread, that's awesome. But it's not actually necessary to acquire language. And the proof is in the pudding. You know, my language module just went off and it just went, I can imagine other characters in this spot. They're all measure words. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I guess die is a measure word. And then I just thought about it. I was like, yeah, sure. So, and it's because of the backlog of things I already understand that I could reverse engineer it down. But if you put the cart before the horse and you try to understand how the structure of the sentence is before you've built up that backlog of understandable sentences, then it's just this fact that you now know, but it's not applicable to daily life. So that's the only point I wanted to make about that particular, uh, why it is that I knew the answer to that. And hopefully that will serve as a bit of inspiration to remember that your focus each day should be like, how many comprehensible sentences can I get into my eyes and ears by the end of the day. Okay, cool. So next question comes from David Pinkerton, who you might remember from the course. He is um, one of the people who is in our course and he uh, in the videos of the Make a Movie videos. And he sent us an email and he says, hey guys, loving the new course and Anki cards. When he took our course uh, before, it was uh, before we upgraded our Anki card. So he's glad to see that. Now he says, why do you just show the image for a word rather than image and the meaning when you're reviewing cards? Is there a reason like it helps to recall or something? Uh, so what he's referring to is the word connection reviews. So there are review cards for character components, for characters, for uh, the uh, actors like Gandalf who represent your pinion initial, for your sets which represent the pinion final or vowel sound, and there's also flashcards for vocabulary. So two characters that you've learned that create a new word and there's two types of cards one card has the Chinese on the front and you're supposed to remember how to pronounce it and what the meaning is and then there's another one where the image is on the front and that's it there's just an image on the front and what you're supposed to do is produce the uh, word essentially that's all you really need to do is just produce the word because what you're doing there is connecting a visual image, which again, our visual cortex is about half of our brain. So connecting the visual representation of the word and maybe even a past experience that you've had uh, with the word and saying it in Chinese takes, first of all, it takes out the English. There's no English in it. It's just image word, image connection, right? And David's asking, what about the meaning? Well, the meaning is kind of larger than the English translation. So take, for example, when you're making a vocabulary flashcard, which is something that we teach you how to do in phase two, we teach you how to install a little Google image search in Anki and do it right on the spot. And it's quite quick. Um, when you're making that image search, you want that image to represent what that meaning is to you. And the fact that you just see the image and then what you have to do is produce the Chinese word means that you're taking out the English, you're doing, you're going directly to what you want, which is an image connected to language, visual connection, a visual connection that goes directly to language. And so that's why we do it that way. And it's also important to remember that they're called comprehension cards and production cards. So the comprehension is like, you learned this, here's the character. Do you remember learning it? What did it mean again? Recall it here, right? So that's, did you comprehend it? But producing it is like, here's the visual representation of this, which is how we represent almost everything in our minds. Here's the visual representation of it. Produce it. 
produce the word that is what this is. It's you know it's not as much of a comprehension as much as a production. And so the production card I think is actually more important. The same thing with the uh, with the character cards. I think the production card is more important when you see the English on the front and then you're supposed to write the character. You're supposed to produce the character. That I think is a little bit more effective in helping your recall. But remember, what SRS does for you is it allows these facts that you've learned before to kind of swim around your unconscious and then you fish hook them back. You recall them as opposed to just rote learning. And that's the beauty of SRS. So uh, that's the reason I hope that's clear enough as to why we have those two types of cards. So the next question comes from Robert Carver. He asked the question on the character number 121 to make a movie and T means self or oneself and it's used in most often in the character which uh, means myself so is myself now when you're learning the character there is a new prop introduced which we call a box and it's basically you know of course you can always see this in the show notes but it's essentially a three-sided square with one bit open and Robert says, confusing directions here. If it's a box and a hook, then the box is facing the wrong way, even though you specifically say to remember the box is facing the other way. And this is just, I, I clarified this in the text of the lesson, but you know whether or not the empty space of the three-sided square is facing left or right, what we're just saying is that try to imagine in your mind that the open part of the box is facing either left or right, based on what it actually is in the character. We weren't trying to say it's always one way or the other. So sometimes a prop might switch positions like that. And really what it comes down to is, are we gonna tell you to learn an entirely new uh, visual representation of this character component, AKA a prop? Uh, are we gonna tell you to learn an entirely new prop just because it flipped? Seems unnecessary. You can just imagine in your mind that the, blocks, the, the box flips. So that's the only reason behind that. I did clarify that in the uh, notes for the lesson. And so I just wanted to make it clear that that's awesome when people give that type of feedback because any of those sort of clerical things or things that are unclear, it just helps make the course better for everyone. So appreciate that, Robert. Now, next, two characters later, this, uh, this is character 123, which is E. And Eric Brown says, whoa, so close to G, the character we just talked about. At least a different actor pronunciation. And so if you look in the show notes, you'll see these two characters are very similar. The only real difference is that uh, G, the open space in the box and then the hook below it connect directly. And then with E, the that's the character 123, the box goes a little bit down. So we'll, we'll have a visualization right here of it. But you can see that the difference is very slight. So Eric says, um, at least a different actor pronunciation. I made part of my scene, my actor fixing my two props by pushing the hook higher to try and remember the distinction. But Eric makes a good point here, which is that the two characters have a different pronunciation. The one is T and the other one is E, right? So the fact that they have that different pronunciation means that you're going to have a different actor in the scene. And so that is very visually distinct. So for G, for me, that was Jennifer Aniston because females represent that E sound. And then E was Yoko Ono. And so the fact that Yoko Ono is there and not 
Jennifer Aniston is a distinct enough difference that I'm likely to remember the difference between the scene. And also the other thing is they don't mean the same thing. So T means myself or oneself. And then E means already, right? So those are very different meanings. And the fact that you don't have to remember the the same, like you're going to remember it with two different actors is visually distinct enough that you're unlikely to confuse them later. But Eric did do a good thing, which he says, okay, the props are the same though. The only difference is the positioning of the props. I'm going to move the hook and the box up in some way to create the distinction. And that's good. But the other thing I would say about this is that every person who learns Chinese has to deal with this. The fact that and, uh, are very similar, but you get it. It's no problem. Uh, you'll get it after uh, not very long at all. Okay. So next, we have an email from Gary. And I liked this email. It was kind of interesting. So he says, good morning. I do apologize if you have covered this already because I'll be starting the course today. But is there a distinction between how one would say car and to eat? C-H-E versus C-H-I. And so uh, car is tu and eat is chi. okay? And the difference here is that C-H-E has the simple final E in it. And the simple final E is a very distinct and kind of a little bit difficult simple final, but we do cover it in uh, unit two of our pronunciation mastery, which is uh, uh. it's a diphthong. So there's two sounds. You got the Actually, you see my my throat, but your mouth doesn't move at all. Versus, so I'm sure you can hear that clear difference. So, to eat, means car. So, I can see how to a beginner's ears they might sound very similar, but once you really understand how to articulate simple final e you'll see they're quite different. Now, uh, we also have a couple of videos on this on our YouTube channel in the Pronunciation Mastery uh, playlist, so feel free to check that out. There's a bit of free content there, and of course, it's in Unit 2 of the actual course. Um, now, Gary has another question. He says, also curious about how specialized your hearing is compared to an average person. When you listen to the viral clip of Yanni versus Laurel, uh, which sound did you hear? So I left the link in the show notes for this. And, uh, you know, that's that I, probably all of you have heard of it before where there was this recording and some people heard Yanni and some people heard Laurel. And uh, I heard Yanni when I did it, but um, I'm not sure why. <laughs> I'm not pretty... I have no idea. I mean, I, it's something to do with like the frequencies and Yanni is higher frequencies. And then there's another one which I had not heard of uh, before, which is a viral clip of Grover from Sesame Street where only some people hear him saying, uh, that's really awesome. And other people hear him say, that's really effing awesome. And uh, I would imagine that part of the brain that differentiates sounds is more specialized in a bilingual person who mastered a tough language like Mandarin. Well, because I've never seen the Grover uh, clip until I watched it. I did link it in the show notes. I, uh, I, I, I did hear the effing in there, but I can't help but think that I was primed to hear it. You know, it's a, that's a genuine psychological phenomenon where if you're primed to hear something, you will sometimes hear it as opposed to not. So it's that same sort of thing of you can't unsee something. So like if you have one of those pictures where if you look at it one way, it's like a beautiful young woman. But if you look at it another way, it's a it's an old older lady. 
um, you know, many times I look at it and I only see one of them, but then once I see the new one, I can't unsee it. I like, oh, I see the pattern now and I've, I've made the connection. So priming is genuinely a thing. And I, I, I did hear the effing in there, but who knows whether that's because I'm, I've learned Mandarin and become better at differentiating, differentiating things. I mean, I am a musician, so music does require a, you know, I'm a drummer in a jazz band. And so, of course, that is a very conversational music because it's largely improvisational. And so you have to listen to what the other musicians are doing in order to participate in the conversation in a way that is, you know, acceptable and makes them want to play with you again. And that I'm sure has helped my hearing, but I don't think all of it transfers to Mandarin because, uh, you know, I certainly struggled to understand certain things for a long time and uh, getting certain tones down, whatever. I wish I'd had all the techniques that we had in pronunciation mastery when I first started. It would have helped a lot. But uh, as for whether or not learning the second language does make it easier to differentiate, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I can't say with any real certainty. I haven't noticed any subjective and anecdotal experience that tells me, oh, after I learned Mandarin, my ability to differentiate between sounds got stronger. So uh, I know it's probably a little bit of a disappointing answer, but that's uh, the best I can do, I'm afraid. So next we have the scene from Ryan Smith. So this is him sharing a scene that he uh, came up with, and he's shared a lot of scenes with us, which we always really appreciate. And this is for character number 30. And when I say a scene, by the way, I mean combining the visual representations of the character components, the visual representation of the pinion initial, which we'll call an actor, the representation of the pinion final, which we'll call a set, and how they all, the props, actor, and set, uh, interact with each other to create the meaning of the character. Now, the, what's the meaning of the character? Well, this is character number 30, ma, which means to scold someone. And so the you'll, you can see the character in the show notes, but it's essentially two mouths right above a horse. And so the location is his friend Anil's bathroom. Now, why is it Anil? Because ma ends in A, and so Anil is his friend. Anil's bathroom is fourth tone. So it's A, fourth tone. So the A in Anil represents, makes a connection to the letter A, and then the bathroom, all bathrooms represent fourth tone. And he has a friend named Marcos who represents the M. So suppose he was in Anil's bathroom with a friend named Paul. Well, that would mean it, the pronunciation would be pa, but he's with his friend Marcos, so the pronunciation is ma. Now, again, we, his props to represent those two mouths are those two Rolling Stones mouths from the cover of the Rolling Stones album, and he has a horse as the bottom part. You can just imagine really almost any horse. So here's what Ryan says about the scene. In the previous scene, Sniffles the Looney Tune drove Marcos to dive off the 12th story balcony by annoying him with too many questions. So in the previous scene, was the it was the scene that where he learned uh, ma, which means yes or no, which is actually a, a uh, Rolling Stones mouth on the left and a horse on the right, but it's also fifth tone. And so he's connecting because it's going to be Marcos again. It's going to be a Neil's house again. So he's connecting the previous scene to this scene, which is a technique that there aren't a lot of opportunities to do in the system, but it does happen from time to time. Now, he says, Sniffles the Looney Tune drove Marcos to dive off the 12-story balcony by annoying him with too many questions. Well, in this scene, Marcos is in the bathroom with the horse 
trying to nurse the horse back to health due to his massive fall. So again, he connects the two scenes. And what happened in the previous scene? Well, it's continued on to this scene. Continuing. The rolling stone mouth that Sniffles split off to ask more questions is in the bathroom scolding Marcos for jumping off the balcony with the horse. (laughs) The scolding is so severe and the rolling stone mouth so mad that the camera does a split shot highlighting the rolling stone mouth on the top right and top left of the two side-by-side shots, one highlighting the injured horse and the other highlighting the ashamed Marcos. I went with the split screenshot for this because while slightly difficult to mentally picture, it was the only way that I could really get across to my head that there was that we need to really emphasize the duality of the Rolling Stone mouth prop. And um, I, uh, I think that that's a good way to go about it, Ryan. I do think that if you just imagined two Rolling Stone mouth props above the horse, that would probably be good enough. But I like the way that Ryan is thinking because... What he's trying to do is say, okay, well, it's my brain, and I'm just imagining things, so why not just imagine a split screen? You could totally do that. Like, that's a simple special effect that many people do when many directors use and many editors use in movies or TV shows, and so why not? It's just your imagination. Just imagine a split screen. So I I like what he's doing there. I like that uh, he's trying to get across the connection from the previous scene because the previous scene was also M.A., so it was also Marcos in Anil's house. And so now it's M.A., but it's a fourth tone, so we switch to the bathroom. And, you know, as you can see, it's it's very uh, connected. And, of course, also in the previous scene, there was one Rolling Stone's mouth and a horse. Now there's two Rolling Stone's mouth and a horse. So there's a lot of similarity, but luckily because the way they interact is so different – we know that, okay, this character means to scold. Next, we also have from Ryan Smith a comment on the pick a prop lesson for buy, which means 100. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this phenomenon of pick a prop, what happens sometimes is that you learn a character like the character for 100, buy. And right after that, we'll have a lesson that says, hey, you need to pick a prop to represent this entire character. Why? Because later there are going to be slightly more complicated characters that have this entire character in it. So a good example of this is the character Zhen. He's a simple character with just two strokes that means person. At, at character seven, you learn Zhen. And then I can't remember exactly what character is, maybe character 20, uh, 25 or 6, maybe. It, you learn Zhen, which means to recognize uh, something. And so that character is the left side component means speech. And the right side character is the entire character, Zhen, right? So after you finish learning Zhen, we'll say, hey, later there's going to be several more complicated characters that use this. So you need to pick an object to represent it. And so similarly, that's what Ryan Smith is doing here when he is picking a prop to represent the entire character by. Now, when you pick a prop, you want to think about, well, what did the original character mean? Well, it means 100. So our original um, suggestion was to use Ben Franklin or maybe a $100 note because he's the guy on the $100 uh, American note. And we gave a couple of other suggestions as well. But Ryan says the main thing that comes to mind for him as a physical representation of 100 is, and I'm going to butcher this word, but he says, is the... Hecatonchiers. Hecaton 
Chires. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's a C-H-E-I-R-E-S at the end. But they are the hundred-handed ones from Greek mythology. Definitely stands out in scenes anyway. And so I love this because I've never studied Greek mythology to that level of depth. And uh, I had never heard of these. But if you have use them because that sounds really um very very uh you know visually distinct so imagine any scene that has 100 in it like that you imagine those greek mythology greek mythological hecaton shears <laughs> and you got it you'll definitely know okay i have to write that entire character for 100 as a part of this scene okay awesome Next question, again from Nassim. He says, hello, I'm a bit confused. I learned in the pronunciation course that jintian means today. Which should I use, jin or jintian? And he's asking this question in the Mandarin Blueprint method, which is, of course, a separate course from the Pronunciation Mastery. And he's asking this when he learns the character jin. Because, of course, jintian is a two-character word. And so what I would say to Nassim is that not all Chinese characters are also words. So some characters are just a, what are called a morpheme, which is like a little mini meaning. It's kind of like the um, the ed in succeeded or the ing in succeeding, right? It has meaning. It does definitely ma matter. The jin being in jintian is important, but you can't just use jin by itself. So when we say the meaning of the character is today, uh, what we're saying is that it has a mini meaning, but it still needs to be combined with other characters in order for it to be a word. And the way you can tell this is that in our course, when we say that a word is, uh, when we say that a character is a word, we'll have a lesson about it. We'll say it's a word. And that means you can use this character by itself. But if you can't use the character by itself, there will not be an it's a word lesson. You'll have to wait until there's another character you've learned that can combine with it to create a two-character word. So that's how that works. And also, just as a, a note about jin, we gave it a keyword of today because the most common word that jin is used in is jintian. Uh, now, it's used in several different words, but it actually kind of means current, like hap current happening now, the now thing, right? But there's other characters that mean uh, now, and we also thought, okay, when you're learning a character at the very beginning, you want to learn its most basic meaning first, and then learning the later meanings when you already know its components, you already know its tone, you already know its pronunciation. If there's a more specified meaning you can have, then go for that, right? Because People who will be more advanced in Chinese might, you know, nitpick with us and go, well, saying that jin means today isn't really correct because it could, you could say jin nian, which means this year, which isn't necessarily referring to today. Uh, but the problem is that if you're starting off and you see a keyword like current or in the present time period, it's a little bit too abstract. Sometimes you just want to get to the main meaning, and then later when you know more, you'll be like, oh, okay, I can expand this out into a larger purview. Because that's how learning works. You cannot learn things that are too far outside of what you can understand. So we always want to start off with you know those types of things. Now, next, we have uh, something from uh, another comment from Ryan Smith, and I really like this one. So uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that the 
four different types of actors that you can have are real males, whether they're you know celebrities or people from your life, real females, in other words, non-fictional, fictional characters, and either world leaders or gods. But I also mentioned that the world leaders and gods represent yu, and because there are so few syllables in Chinese, there's only 20 total syllables and only six sort of beginnings. You've got yu, nu, lu, ju, chu, shu. Because there's only six starting points, that means that there's only six actors to pick. And so we recommend either world leaders, so you can make chu, you can make that Donald Trump if you wanted to, um, or you could pick gods. So obviously Ryan's into mythical uh, Greek mythology, so maybe he'll pick like you know Aphrodite and, and Zeus and things like that. But he said, being a big Star Wars fan, I decided to go down that route for the U actors. And you might say, well, aren't the Star Wars actors fictional characters and it's like yes they are i mean so are the mythical gods but the fact that they are categorically distinct the only rule would be don't use star wars characters for your fictional characters so like for uh the ooh sounds like uh this whole section don't use star wars characters and then you're fine right so what he did was is yoda nu is newt gunray Lu is Princess Leia. Chu is Jabba the Hutt. Chu is Qui-Gon Jinn because his name also starts with Q. And then Shu is Isla Secura. So he is more of a Star Wars fan than I am because I don't know who Newt Gunray and Isla Secura are. But uh, I know the other ones. And that's great. So let's see. He said a few more things here. He said, there are some possible points of confusion that might happen since I'd already picked Obi-Wan as the prop for Zhu and Christopher Lee is my C actor, but I don't think that Obi-Wan as the prop should be an actual problem since he'll always appear with an actual actor and Christopher Lee should be fine since I already have him firmly in my mind as the actor himself, not as Count Dooku persona. It helps that I grew up watching him as Dracula and he's right. So Christopher Lee is the actor who happened to play a Star Wars character at some point. So if you're not imagining him as a Star Wars character, there's really no conflict. You're imagining the actor, Christopher Lee. And then in the case of Obi-Wan being the prop for Zhu, because you can have a prop be a person too, if the meaning of the prop is like very clear. So he actually said that about that before. Uh, when Zhu is pronounced in third tone and means only, that made Ryan think of, uh, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope from uh, Star Wars A New Hope. And so that made him think of Obi-Wan. And so Obi-Wan is his representation of Zhir as a prop. And that's perfectly clear representation. There's no problem with that. And so in other words, props can be people too. But the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi is representing a character component and not representing opinion initial means that you're not going to have a problem. So I love this. This is thinking in the right way. It's categorical thinking. So he's thinking in that way and, uh, you know, it's moving on from there. Okay. So uh, a few more questions here. So we have from the email, Deborah. I love the podcast. I started your course a few weeks ago. I had been looking online for a month or longer for a course that made sense to me. Your approach is brilliant and your blueprint method and materials are excellent. I am greatly enjoying the lessons. I'm doing it all on an iPhone as I've been traveling for six years now and have no home or computer. So far, it's working well, although a bit of a headache with Anki was necessary, but it now runs only off the iPhone. Not bad for a 64-year-old woman with age comes patience. And, you know, 
I really appreciated this email for a number of reasons. First of all, Anki is, you know, it is the part of the course that, you know, Anki is simultaneously awesome. We love that it exists and it's so customizable, but it is the biggest headache of the course for us and for our clients because the user interface is not very user-friendly. Um, and it's got so many areas where it can be confusing. And we'd love to get an integration of a spaced repetition software directly into our course, but we've looked into it and it's quite an expensive endeavor. So we'll have to um, get more funding in some way to do that. But, you know, hopefully we'll just keep selling the course. So, hey, share with your friends the Mandarin Blueprint course, and maybe we can add an SRS to the system. But it is a bit frustrating. But what I liked about this is, first of all, she didn't make excuses, right? She just figured it out. And what's going to happen, the fact that she figured out how to do it on her iPhone, even though I'm sure it was a bit of a headache at the beginning, now she's done it. And so many things with this process are you do it once and then it's done, right? And then you just have it set in place. So this is all just to say that while um, Anki can sometimes be a bit of a pain, remember that the overall goal is that it's going to give you a perfectly awesome system for remembering everything that you have learned. And it's going to provide you with a means to not worry about whether or not you're going to remember things. So even though it can be technically sometimes frustrating at the beginning, uh, it's worth it. It's well worth it to go through. And we did try to do our best on uh, making things very clear in the uh, Anki tutorials, but if ever, ever something is not clear, we'll make sure that we address it. And actually, in a couple of uh, questions, I'll address a little bit more about Anki. But, you know, the other thing that I've come to realize about this course is that it is not at all limited based on being older. So if you're somebody who has the opinion that I'm too old to learn Chinese, uh, I would suggest that no, you're not. Actually, being older really supports this system because you have more experiences to glean from. The more experiences you have to glean from, the more chance that something that we suggest in the course rings a bell in your mind and makes you go, oh, yeah, that prop, I can represent that with this experience I had when I was 45, right? And so a 30-year-old uh, or 31-year-old like myself won't be able to do that because I just haven't built up enough experiences yet. But uh, for younger people, don't worry, like you'll still be able to make the connections because, well, first of all, sure, you're younger and you're, you might be a little bit more uh, energy filled and have a bit more of a, you know, quick uh, reaction to things. And also, I mean, when it comes to down to it, there are so many things like that you could choose to represent the character components to represent the actors and sets. And there, there's so much flexibility in this method that uh, you would have to be really young to not have enough experiences. So, okay. Next from the email. This is also from Chad Ressler. Hey guys, burning through the pronunciation mastery course and loving it. As a student, I was thinking about how I would enjoy seeing my instructors in real life situations. Is there any chance of a Chinese on the street type of video where we could see you guys engaging in regular conversations? I had almost paid for a different service, but it was Luke's video where he was speaking Chinese that made me hesitate. Research the Mandarin Blueprint more and then decide to invest in it. Parentheses, best decision. Thanks, Chad. Uh, just a thought from a student. Have a good one. You know, this is something that Luke and I have been talking about for a while, and um, it's just a bit tricky to set up it because in order to do it properly, it's very time-consuming. And, of course, we have been uh, 
producing the course, you know, all this time, and we're going to be potentially expanding it out a bit more. Uh, I was thinking that maybe, and you guys can let me know what you think of this. Um, I think maybe setting up a camera and a little sign in the park and just sort of talking about a topic. But then if anybody comes over to chat with me, chat with them and see what we can come up with for a lesson out of it. But it's a bit tricky because when it comes to lesson planning, you can't really plan that with a random person you meet in the street, but you can get some really genuine Chinese. So it's a bit of a, you know, if we, might, if we did it, it would all be free content likely just to um, help people know that Mandarin Blueprint exists. But on the other hand, uh, it's definitely something we're going to address. It's a bit tricky, you know, um, when you think about what goes into that type of, uh, that type of plan, there's a significant amount of you know, work that would have to go into building that type of system, but we're interested in doing it. It's definitely something that uh, could be quite fun. Uh, I can say this. I, w I was thinking about having uh, Annie, our uh, grammar instructor and sort of the person who's been helping us out with these grammar materials come on the podcast and we could just have a conversation in Chinese. Um, be more than happy to do that. I used to do a podcast in Chinese, actually, and, uh, you know, it would be nice to bring that back. So, all right. Final question of today, and this is kind of a twofold question. So the first one is about Anki, and so I'm going to give a practical bit of advice from it, and the second one is a bit more of a men mentality thing. So the first, this is from Keith, and he says, uh, as I go through your program, I only started last week, I was interested in your thoughts on these things. The first, Anki. I have read through the whole guide, downloaded the program on my computer, have had some experience with practicing with the cards that I have made with my editing inputs, but still some things about this program befuddle me. Well, I understand, Keith. It's not uh, exactly the clearest program. Notwithstanding that the UI on the desktop version is just clunky and seems like it is from the 80s. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, I don't get exactly how it works with the option of introducing new cards slash new cards per day, etc. I understand why you would need to double the number of new cards of the videos you watch that day, but translating this to apply to the Anki deck seems too difficult. I just got so frustrated with trying to understand, uh, understand that side of it. I just waited until I was all the way through with levels one through three videos and then studied the deck as a whole. I understand they are sorted by the do column, but some in the column had dates and some of them had numbers, 12, 13, et cetera, which confused me even more. Am I the only one that has found it this way? Well, I highly doubt it, Keith, because uh, Anki can be confusing, but I'll give you a couple of practical points at this uh, when we start off. So when you get the brand new first Anki deck, whether it's pronunciation mastery or it's uh, from the Mandarin Blueprint method, before you've done any reviews, if you look at the column for do, they're just going to be numbers, like you said, 12, 13, et cetera, 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, but as soon as they enter into your review queue, you look at it for the first time and you study the card, well, then it does have a due date because that column is sorted by due date, right? So if it... Um, doesn't have a due date yet, it'll just be given a number in the queue. And it's just saying this number will come next. But as soon as you it enters your review cycle, then of course it'll have a due date at that point. So that's the first thing that might've been a bit confusing about that. And that sometimes is not something that's clear to people. Now, next, uh, when it comes to knowing how many cards to add, what, what we offered as a solution to the question of how many cards should you do each day? Because suppose that you just set it to 
automatically show you 20 new cards per day. Well, what if you did more than 20 cards worth of lessons that day in the course? You know, how do you see all the cards you did that day? And one of the solutions is to set the new cards per day at zero and use this uh, function called custom study. And you just add the amount of new cards that you're going to do today based on what you did in the course. But there's another thing you can do. And this might be a little bit easier. It's a bit more manual uh, to do it this way. But what you would do is you would go to your deck in browse. So you're in browse and Anki, you select any card and then hit control A to select all cards. Uh, and then you would want to deselect any cards that are already in your review cycle. So those uh, in the due column that have a date, deselect those, but select all the cards that have not yet entered your review cycle. Then after they're selected, you would want to hit um, suspend, which if you right click on Anki 2.1, you can hit suspend. Or if, you, uh, if it's Anki 2.0, you can just click the suspend button at the top. And this will cause all of the rows that represent the various cards to turn yellow. And there will be a parenthesis around the due number. Now, this means they won't go into your review queue. And what you just simply do is after you finish a study session, you go into Anki, go into browse and select the specific cards that you learned that day and then just click the suspend button again, which will unsuspend them. And now they're ready to enter your review queue. And if you do it this way, you can set your new cards per day to some really high number, just set it to like a thousand or whatever, because they're all suspended. So if a, suspend, a card is suspended, it will not go into your new card queue regardless of what your new cards per day are. And if it's set to a thousand and then you unsuspend 20 cards, well, those 20 cards will immediately become available to review. So just to go through it one more time, you select all cards that have not already entered your review cycle. So if they have a date, don't, don't select those, but you select all cards that have not entered your review cycle. You hit suspend to make sure they won't go into your queue. And then after you learn whatever you learned that day, if you learned from 10 videos that represent 10 Anki cards, you go into browse again, select those specific cards and unsuspend them. And you wanna just make sure that in your settings, your new cards per day is set to something other than zero. Cause if it's still set at zero, then still nothing will show up. But if you set it to like a thousand or whatever, then it will be no problem. So. That's another solution for uh, unsuspending your cards. And I would do it this way, Keith, because waiting until the end is something that won't put you into the review cycle of the things you actually did that day. And that's, actually, that's really helpful to do that. You want to do that as soon as you can. Okay, now, Keith had another question that I thought was a bit more applicable to everybody here in the sense that uh, there would be this is a mentality that I understand, but I think it's a little bit off. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here. He says, the other thing, your method makes total logical sense to me. And I'm enjoying going through the pro program and reliving some sets and actors from my past. However, as I work through the cards and get to the characters, I find myself wondering how the heck am I going to keep hundreds and hundreds of them straight in my head when I get to that point? Sometimes I struggle to recall and think, okay, now what was that movie scene I made with that actor? Was it that set or those props or that keyword, etc.? If I'm struggling to keep all that stuff straight in my head in levels one through three, what about much later in the course? 
Having said that, you guys have done an amazing job with the course. I can't even imagine the hours and hours you've put into making it look so professional. Well done. Well, thank you for that compliment there at the end, Keith. And while I completely understand this mentality, it's actually a little bit off base because what happens as you go further into the course is that you get better at every aspect of what you said. You get better at quickly recognizing your actor. You get better at quickly recognizing your props. You get better at just knowing what to do and making a new scene so that it's more memorable. So really at the beginning is when you're the worst at it. So it's not that surprising that you would struggle to keep it straight in your head what to do. And that's why at the beginning, there's no rush Take it. Take your time with each uh, character because the fact that you take your time with each character means that later you'll get how the system works. So I often say to people that it's about a seven or eight step process to learn each character. Now, a seven or eight step process is not clear at the beginning. You have to really think about it, right? But how many times do you have to do a seven or eight step process before you got it? Okay, I, I got this seven or eight step process 30 times, 40 times. Well, that's about what, that's the kind of feedback we get from people is that, oh yeah, it was around character 30 or 40 that I really started to get how the method works. And at that point I could just go away faster. So while I understand the, the feeling of like, isn't this just going to get more complicated as I go forward? It's like, well, no, actually you're just going to get better at it as you go forward. And that's where we're going to end today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, you can check out the pronunciation mastery course, the Mandarin blueprint method course in the show notes. And podcast listeners, you are going to be a part of the Spring Festival special, which is still going to go until February 20th. So that is 20% off uh, any of the uh, offers that we have available for the Mandarin Blueprint method. So whether it's the $30 a month, that goes down to $24 a month, and that's a monthly payment, or the $15 a month option goes down to $12 a month, and that's a biannual payment. And of course, this also applies to our lifetime offer, which is both the Pronunciation Mastery and the Mandarin Blueprint method, which means you save a hundred bucks because it's $500 usually 20% off brings it down to $400. So, uh, $399. So anyway, that's all for today. They've got the new webinars coming out. we got new stuff, any feedback that you want to give us. You can either leave a comment on the course or you can message us at support at mandarinblueprint.com. And Hey, I, understand that iTunes reviews of podcasts are very helpful. So if you find this podcast helpful and would like to leave us a review or send us any kind of testimonial to our email, we would really appreciate that. We're really trying to get the word out about how excellently effective the Mandarin Blueprint method is for helping people get to Mandarin fluency and literacy faster than was ever possible before. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time.